In Italy, a train is more than just a means of transportation. Coming up on today's Travel with Rick Steves, author Tim Parks tells us what he's discovered about the personality of Italy commuting on its uniquely Italian railway. So there's an awful lot of ambiguity about things that makes really no commercial sense at all. Tim Parks examines how modern priorities clash with timeless inefficiency and how living in this paradox can actually be so much fun. Italians have a way of presenting themselves, playing a role that they know that foreigners are happy with. And guides from the Amalfi Coast tell us what they see every day living in a classic fishing town squeezed under the slopes of the Mediterranean. The whitewashed houses, the tiny streets, the people still wearing the black clothes like in the past. In Positano, when you go to visit somebody, you can't walk to visit them. You either have to climb or slide. All aboard for the Italy Express. It's Travel with Rick Steves. After commuting by train for the better part of 30 years, Tim Parks has started to figure out the reasons behind how things work and don't work in Italy. English by birth, Parks married an Italian woman and they've raised their family in Verona. His latest book follows up on his bestsellers from the 1990s in which he describes getting acquainted with the everyday frustrations of daily life in Italy. Parks also writes fiction, and his book Europa was nominated for a Booker Prize in 1997. He also translates Italian literature into English and teaches at a university in Milan. His latest book continues his affectionate examination of his adopted homeland, and it's called Italian Ways, On and Off the Rails from Milan to Palermo. Tim Parks, welcome to Travel with Rick Steves. Well, thanks for inviting me. Thanks. The foundation of your book is we can learn about Italian culture from the train system. How so? Well, more or less everything. Some people have even suggested you could tell the whole history of modern Italy uh, through the rail system. I guess the truth about myself is that I've traveled on Italian rail for the last 30 years, partly as a commuter from Verona to Milan, uh, which is about an hour and a half commute, and then all over the country. And more and more, being aware of how they fix the ticketing system, how the whole policy of rail development is political rather than commercial, it gives you a sense the the way people are moving on the train, the way you can get a sense of people belonging in first class, second class, slow trains, fast trains. You just begin to realize that actually you can get a sense of a whole community by talking about how it uses its rail system. And, uh, of course, Italy is a very diverse country. In your book, you talk about how, uh, while Italy has diverse regions, the trains reflect that also. How, how could you draw a conclusion about southern Italy or Sicily from Piedmont and Lombardy in the north? Well, if we go from the far north to the far south, it's really pretty dramatic. Uh, in the north, you've got a heavily used, extremely frequent train system which costs quite a lot and which people are using intensely. If you go down to Calabria, you've got tiny two-carriage vehicles trundling along with uh, diesel powered often with funds from the European community to make the stations halfway bearable mm -hmm. uh, and almost nobody traveling on them. So uh, if you go to Sicily, you find that often there simply aren't railways where you thought they should be or they're not running on a Sunday at all. I mean, the railways in a certain sense indicate the presence of the state and the extent to which the region is really linked into a national community if such a thing exists in Italy. Okay. And, and the South is, is, clearly, um, is clearly slightly left out it's in that out. regard. Yeah. Yeah. So up in the North, you've got that Germanic blood in, in Lombardy, and, and you have that Germanic intensity of the train system and efficiency. Down in the South, it's been kind of, for historical reasons, kind of a basket case economically and, and relatively chaotic and underdeveloped and Consequently, you've got a subsidized train system that might not even fit the needs of the community. Well, <laughs> I'd be very careful on a lot of those declarations. I don't find the North really particularly Germanic at all, but certainly very efficient. Even in the North, the train system is simply vastly subsidized. I mean, tickets cost less than half what they cost in Germany, and season tickets probably cost about one-tenth of what they would cost in Germany. Huh. Um, the South is, is a basket case economically, particularly since it was run by the North uh, since about 1860. Before that, the, the South was definitely not a basket case economically and was very largely destroyed by, by the way the North took it over. Unification around 1870 or something was actually not good for the South then. It was just going from one colonial overlord to another. 
Well, you know, these things are terribly complex and one doesn't want to offend people, but unity actually, apart from Rome, really took place in, in 1861 after the wars mm -hmm. of 1860. And the, the people in the North certainly tried to use the South rather than having a sense of community with the South. I don't think there's any mm. doubt about that. And there were many revolts against uh, national government. So, so yes, and today, certainly, when you, when you travel, for example, there's now what's notable about Italy in the last 10 years is the introduction of a really wonderful high-speed train that runs all the way down from Turin through Milan, Bologna, Florence, Rome, Naples to Salerno, a train that costs a simply astronomic amount of money that will never be recovered or paid back mm. and is terribly efficient and incredibly fast while all the regional rail services are left to language. But once you get past Naples and then Salerno, which is not long after it, you suddenly sort of fall off the edge of the map <laughs> mm. as far as trains are concerned and you trundle along, trundle along very slowly. In the book, w one thing, I obviously most of my experience of trains is in northern Italy and I made uh, a wonderful long trip on the trains through the south to write the last part of the book and really savour the south. Mm -hmm. And it was really wonderful because I wasn't in a hurry to get anywhere. But had I been... A serious traveler, it would have been truly disastrous. Well, you get spoiled with that super fast train that's sort of the spine of Italian economy from Rome to Milano, I suppose, and then you get south of Naples yeah. and it's a different world. But that's sort of the charm of Italy. Tim Parks is the author of bestsellers about living in Italy. He's our guest right now on Travel with Rick Steves. His latest book examines the Italian national character as seen from the rail lines of Italy. It's called Italian Ways On and Off the Rails from Milan to Palermo. We have a web link to Tim's latest book and today's program details on our website. You'll find that in the radio section at ricksteves.com. In your book, you, you mentioned uh, the Ferrovia dello Stato, the, the national train company as a kind of a Catholic church. What did you mean by that? Le Ferrovie dello Stato. Um, well, Italians have this probably precisely because these small states that existed more or less from the Renaissance period up until uh, the mid-19th century, where many of them were run by foreigners or certainly by royal families to which people didn't feel very much loyalty. A whole relationship developed with power where really you, you play in defense all the time against power, you try and avoid your taxes, but at the same time you want that power to offer you safety and um, the Catholic Church is, is simply another example of a relationship with a large power that offers a kind of final safety as long as you toe the line. The Ferrovia dello Stato, everybody feels they, they have a right to cheap, almost free train travel if possible, and at the same time they all, they all loathe it and the amount of fare dodging is, is very considerable. Um, the amount of traveling in first class is second class tickets particularly on regional trains and so on. <laughs> you know, that's so interesting you say that. It's entertaining for a traveler to listen to conductors on the trains battling with uh, Italians who are sitting in first class and shouldn't be or who are on a train and, and they don't have a ticket. And, and you, you write some very funny stories about uh, little old ladies who, who just stay on the train and, and then they get thrown off and, and they get on the next train and they get thrown off and sooner or later they get to where they're going to go. <laughs> they get to where they're going, yeah. A lot of the book is made up with conversations, obviously, and some of those conversations are with uh, ticket collectors. Of course, Italy is a country we know where you have this figure of the so-called furbo, the person who's clever, who gets around the rules, who is perhaps a little dishonest but somehow admirable because he's perhaps charming with it. And a culture that creates a person like that inevitably also creates the culture of the person who the Italians called the pignolo, the person who's absolutely finicky, that all the rules have to be obeyed and that nobody, there's no flexibility at all. And obviously, this is a good personality to have if, if you're checking tickets. And so you get wonderful clashes because the rules are never actually terribly clear. Wonderful, very long discussions with these people. And funnily enough, at the end, although they seem so severe, as always in Italy, things are negotiated rather than imposed. So one solution is just to invite somebody to get off at the next stage. I mean, let, let me give you an example without wanting to bore your listeners too much, but it is a classic example. In Italy, you can buy tickets over the internet. You simply bring up the ticket on your portable screen and show it to the ticket collector, which is fantastic. You have to admire a system like that. 
when they moved this system to the regional rail, I did the same thing. But the first guy who collected my ticket told me that it wasn't acceptable on the screen because it said on the ticket that the ticket had to be printed, and it said it, of course, way, way off the bottom of the screen. You had to scroll down through all kinds of tiny regulations. With the result that this guy, who knew perfectly well that I paid my ticket, was asking me to pay a huge fine, and so on, and there was huge argument, almost the whole carriage, because lots、mm-hmm. of the young people said, "But a PDF is printed,、mm. so it can be on the screen." But anyway, in the end, the compromise was just to invite me to get off the train at the next station, which is a classic, you know, <laughs> a sort of. And then go to battle on the next train and hope to find a different right, conductor.、Yeah. Well, you know, the the system is so complicated for tourists. But it's some reassurance to a tourist that we're not idiots because it's complicated to the locals as well. And you find a lot of people just, what's the Italian word? I throw my arms down. I'm so frustrated or something. And people si, just, mi cascano le braccia. Si, si. Si, say that again.、Yeah, my arms fall. Mi cascano le braccia. Oh yeah, I throw my, my arms down. I just don't. To me, <laughs> fall my arms. Mi cascano le braccia. So you're just trying to I, deal with this thing with a sense of humor and、uh, don't try to get there exactly when you want to and just.、Uh, Yeah, can I、out. say that actually? Actually, you know, there are many other countries with equally complicated. I mean, the British system at the moment is a complete nightmare. But I think that they're complicated in different ways. So the British system is complicated because it's actually really geared up to usage of the train. So you pay different amounts at different times, and it's terribly complicated getting your ticket because of that.、Right. In Italy, it's all to do with pretending that there is still social prices for some tickets. Well, in fact, the railway system desperately needs money, and so has、mm-hmm. to charge you real money、mm-hmm. for for other tickets. So there's an awful lot of ambiguity about things that makes really no commercial sense at all. So it's fun looking at these. Actually, I think I don't want to put tourists off. They will actually find it pretty easy to use once they figure it. Oh, <laughs> Italian rail system! You come away thinking it's great, but it's part of Italy, and that's one of the charms of Italy. And you just got to be on the ball. I, I for for me, standing on the platform, and if if something comes on the loudspeaker system. I don't speak Italian, but I just judge by how everybody else reacts. If everybody, <laughs> if everybody curses and then goes down to the track number seven from track number four,、right. you know your train's been changed and you got to join. You got to join them. Tim, in your book, you write about this fascinating notion of、uh, unity and disunity, and you mention it's a nation at ease with the distance between the ideal and the real. Is that related to what you're talking about? Well, certainly in terms of unity, disunity, yes. I mean, you know that Italy is. Is Italy and not Germany, for example, or France, because the Italians are arguing with each other. I mean, they don't argue with the French and they don't argue with the Germans. They argue with each other.、Mm-hmm. So it's like knowing that this person is a member of a family because the family is dysfunctional, as it were. Tim Parks takes your calls at eight seven seven three 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 seven four two five in just a moment as we explore Italy through its train system on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union delegation to the USA. The European Union received the 2012 Nobel Peace Prize for promoting peace, human rights, and democracy. Information available at euintheus.org. Sono Ferenc Mate da Montalcino in Toscana, e io viaggio sempre con Rick Steves. That means in English, I'm、uh, Ferenc Mate from Montalcino, Tuscany, and I travel with Rick Steves. Sono Ferenc Mate, e io viaggio sempre con Rick Steves. Thank you. Tim Park suggests that Italy may not be for beginners. It can be confusing, 
it's inefficient to deal with its bureaucracy, and its transportation network is filled with last-minute surprises. But of the expats I know, like Tim, who live there, none of them seem to have any intention of leaving. They tell me that just because the everyday realities of living there may fall short of their ideals, Italy is still the place they want to call home. Let's open up the phones right now for your calls as together we explore modern life in Italy with Tim Parks, the author of Italian Ways, on and off the rails from Milan to Palermo. And Jean is on the line in Cincinnati, Ohio. Jean, thanks for your call. Thanks for having me. Yeah, do you have a comment for Tim? Well, yeah, I plan on taking my 17-year-old son to Italy next May as a graduation gift. And right now, all of our travel is going to be via rail for about two weeks. And my son has studied Latin for about five or six years, so he's learned a lot about <laughs> ancient Roman architecture and culture. So I'm asking that, you know, outside of the Forum in Rome and or Pompeii, where else, you know, near train stations, might we get a good look at ancient Roman culture that might be a little bit off the beaten path? I don't know what you call the beaten path, but almost everywhere in Italy, if the rail station's in the center of town, there's going to be some Roman stuff around. But, for example, if you go to Verona, which is a very wonderful city to visit, mm -hmm. you will find uh, within uh, a very short bus ride from the station into the center, right in the center of town, there is mm. the largest Roman arena, which is still in use for concerts, operas, and so on. There is also a Roman theater up on the hill, which is very beautiful. You know, Tim and Gina, it's funny, when, when uh, Gina asked that question and Tim was coming up with his answer, I was thinking, where's classical Roman sites near a train station? And I thought, Verona. And then Tim said, Verona. And then I thought, well, you can't really walk there that easily. But then I remember once for my Facebook uh, blog, I just turned my little uh, video camera on in the train station to see what it would be like to step out, hop on a bus, and go downtown. And it was like, I didn't miss a step. You step out of the train station, right in front of you, there's a platform, and there are buses literally every two minutes uh, zipping you from the train station right to, what's it called, Tim, Piazza Bra? Piazza Bra. Piazza Bra. And step off the bus yeah. in Piazza Bra, and you're looking at this, arguably the best preserved Roman uh, theater in all of the ancient world. So that's easy, Verona, yeah. Yeah, it's a vast amphitheater worth visiting. But also, Verona has a river which goes in a, in a meander through the city with steep hills on the northern side. And there is a Roman theater on the side of the hill which is still used mm. for concerts and also theater People productions. It's wonderful. Yeah. The city is full of Roman ruins, yeah. as indeed is almost any oh, Italian city. How about Asta? Asta is called the Rome of the North or something like that, isn't it? It's a little town. Nobody goes there. You can get there by train north of Milano, A-O-S-T-A. And its nickname is something like the Little Rome. And there's plenty of Roman sites up there that are truly off the beaten path. Gene, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. And John's on the line in Jersey City, New Jersey. John, thanks for your call. Thanks for having me. Yeah, comment on Italian train experiences for you. Uh, we were traveling to Rome from southern Italy, and when we got into Napoli, we were delayed at the train station, and we were in a car with... Uh, a few other uh, Italians who spoke no English, and they all just kind of shrugged their shoulders and threw their hands up, indicating, this is Italy, this is the train, you just kind of roll with it. And then uh, after about 20, 30 minutes, the train started rolling backwards. So we were rerouted to a different track, and our five-hour trip took more than 10 hours by the time all was said and done. And as it turned out, uh, we didn't find out until we were in Rome that it was the largest rainstorm that they had had in over a generation. It was actually the same rainstorm that caused the mudslides in the Cinque Terre. Oh, those are the flash floods that basically buried two of the towns, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, in, in Rome it was not as devastating, but back in, in Napoli, uh, moving you know one stop at a time and then waiting 20 mm. minutes, we had a reservation at a and b in downtown Rome, and it was our last night in town. And the owner of the B&B &B was just fabulous. Uh, we called him when we could. You know, our reservation should have expired. And he said, oh, you're going to be here. Come, I'll meet you. And so halfway from the Termini to the location, he met us, and it, it was kind of an interesting exchange. He's looking at us pulling luggage and 
we're not sure about this man who's looking at us. And then he finally indicated that he was our, our host for that night. Mm. And, and he was just wonderful. He We got into town just after midnight, and uh, he convinced the local pizzeria downstairs to reopen so he could make us a pizza so that we could have something to eat. Mm. Still the best pizza I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that sounds like uh, taking surprises in stride in Italy. Remember, it's about the size of California with 70 million people or something like that, and some violent weather and some congestion on the rails and lots of people coming together at the same time. So best just uh, take it easy and enjoy the friendliness of people like you did. That, that was very much our experience is people taking things in stride. The people were just wonderful. Even yeah. that was kind of a worst-case scenario, I think, uh, on the train. You know, we, we met so many people. Uh, and, of course, at the time, we didn't speak any Italian at all. Coming up from Sicily, we got to Mineo, which is a big uh, travel hub going to the mainland. And something I had never seen before or since is there was no bridge to get the trains across the strait between Mineo and the tip of Calabria. Hmm. Uh, And so they load the trains into the hold of the ferry boat. So the ferry, the body of the ship opens up and they take the train a third at a time and then they have to disconnect the second third and the third third, and they ride side by side in the boat and then have to reconnect on the other side. And so uh, while we were going through that process, we met this man, Vincenzo, who spoke very little English, and we had our handy Rick Steves Italian uh, phrase book. So we're doing a lot of pantomiming. It was great, though. We communicated. It was a lovely conversation. And... uh, he saw that we were a little nervous about getting off at our stop at Lameza Terme. He, he was able to help us understand which stop to get off at. And uh, in the meantime, another individual gets on in the cabin with us, and we're all just kind of talking like we had known each other forever in broken Italian slash English and, and pantomiming. We asked him, you, you know, what, what the most beautiful part of his home was, and he just responded this big you know, bellissimo, oh, pizza, pasta, Italy, it's all beautiful. Oh. And uh, that that was, you know, a highlight of the trip. That's wow. great. I love that. I, I just love that idea of getting the train, packing it onto the boat, and then uh, having people locally let you know, everything's okay. Pizza, pasta, Italy, it's all beautiful. It, it really mm. is la dolce vita. Everything is, every, everything is a little more laid back. Yeah, all very right. Very verbose. John, thanks for the call. Thank you. Tim, have you been on that uh, train that John was talking about where the train goes onto the boat from uh, Messina? Yeah, the train crosses from near Reggio Calabria to Messina on the Sicilian coast, and they put the train on the boat. It's completely crazy. It, it makes absolutely no sense because obviously it takes forever to get that train onto the boat. Uh, um, and if they simply got the people off the train and onto the boat on the other side, they could have a train waiting. So the reason why they do this is a kind of commercial inertia that keeps a large number of people employed on the ferries and um, there's really no other no other reason for doing so. It makes no okay, sense at all. Yeah. I, I must say, you know, it's kind of nice to hear from somebody who's so happy and, and perceives the Italian culture as laid back and so on. My own feeling is after 30 years in the country that Italians have a way of presenting themselves to foreigners, playing a role that they know that, that foreigners are happy with but certainly Italian life as lived in the north is absolutely not laid back at all, mm. nor is much of it close to the Dolce Vita, um, mm-hmm. particularly in this period. But that doesn't mean it's not charming and not fascinating, which, which yeah. I think it definitely is. Well, there is that divide. I mean, you know, they say for every uh, church in Rome, there's a bank in Milano. And uh, <laughs> I, I just find Milan is a high-powered place. People are power lunges and walking around quickly, and it's it, it, it's not your your Dolce Vita, that's for sure. No, the South is much slower. I mean, people yeah. actually w- deliberately walk slowly in the South. Partly, I mean, if you're used to walking in 35 degree heat, watch what's, what's yeah. that in in American terms? Darn pretty much 100. Yeah. yeah, you learn to walk in the shade and keep it keep it a yeah. little slower. When well, the know. South they say piano, piano, it'll be okay, just little by yeah. little. I like the way you write in your book about the inefficiencies of the system actually serving a purpose, and like you mentioned there, it's just a way to keep a lot of uh, rail workers employed, I guess. It 
treno regionale veloce delle ore 11.13 per Torino Porta Nuova è in partenza dal binario 7. Ferma a Novara, Percelli, Torino Porta Susa. La prima classe è in testa al treno. We're exploring how Italy works right now on Travel with Rick Steves from the perspective of its rail lines and the 33 years that author Tim Parks has been making Italy his home. He describes his experiences and the people he's observed while riding the trains of Italy in his book Italian Ways, on and off the rails from Milan to Palermo. Our phone number is 877-333-7425 and Carol's on the line in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hi, Carol. Thanks for your call. Hi. Um, I also had the experience of uh, taking the night train. I actually went to Sicily because I wanted to take the train before they put the bridge in. And uh, so I took a night train, and I got on at Palermo, and then a group came on at Messina who were people who commuted, and they were really sweet. They could see that I was a foreigner. I did have a tiny bit of uh, Italian from having worked on Pimsleur before I went. But um, not too much, and so they knew that I wanted to go up. So when when the train started doing the backing on, backing back and forth, this was maybe eleven thirty or something. They all went up on deck, and then they were really they took me up with them. And then the women wanted to go back down and go to bed because they were actually on their way to work the next morning. They do this every week, but I never thought to ask them what kind of jobs they had that would take them to Rome every week. They go on Sunday night. And then they come back during the day on Friday and are with their families on the weekend. I did say to the man, you know, basically, it must be hard to have to go to Rome every week. And he was kind of like, well, that's where the jobs are. They were so, so um, friendly. And I, I'm just, now I have all these questions about what their lives might have been hmm. like, but I just didn't think to ask. Well, you know, Carol, Tim writes about this in his book, this this notion of campanilismo, where People make long commutes so they can stay near their moms and in their hometown and hear the, the bells in the bell tower of the church they grew up in. Tim, talk a little bit about why that means long commutes. Well, all over Italy, people are commuting impossible distances uh, for the week. At the university where I work in, uh, many of my colleagues live in Rome and, and commute up from Rome for the week um, or even further afield. Uh, one of them lives in Palermo, in fact. Uh, obviously, they, they use the plane. But the trains have traditionally been used to make possible a constant movement of workers both from south to north and then around the north, very long commutes. People believe that their hometown is the centre of the world and they're determined to live there. If you had real train prices that actually reflected the cost of the trains, none of this would be allowed to happen. Ah, it's possible because of that, yeah. The government's basically subsidising a sort of anthropological uh, situation, as it were, It's fascinating. Much of it you feel could never happen in a country that was more ruthlessly commercial where the price of that train would simply make it, it, there would simply be no sense and you would find a flat in the area you were living in. And and what it does mean is a lot of people's lives get very attached to their their family and and remain there and and it's a way, as it were, of, of not you know, spreading your wings. and and So there's a downside number and obviously a very plus side to it. Hmm. In the book, for example... I have a chapter about what it's like in the stations in the far south, places like Taranto or Lecce, in those early summer months when the young people who are studying in Milan or in Bologna and the workers who are, who are working up north in Turin or maybe as far as Udine come down for the summer holiday for a month. And the scenes in the station are just extraordinarily emotional with the tension as the train comes in and all the families waiting to see people. Mm who they haven't seen perhaps for a couple of months. And the challenge for travelers, I mean, Italy is my favorite country in Europe, and uh, it's one of the most popular destinations, but the challenge for travelers is to go with that rather than fight that, and that's really uh, critical to enjoying your time in Italy, I would say. Well, enjoying your time on this planet, uh, Rick. <laughs> Broader than Italy, okay. Don't, don't fight it too hard, but certainly, yeah, when, you, when you're traveling anywhere, it's as wise not to try and apply the rules that apply, you know, in New York or, or, or in Boston and actually wait a bit and see what's going on. I mean, your man there talked about a five-hour delay because of a major meteorological mm-hmm. event, and I, I suppose that can happen anywhere. But in the book I talk 
about a series of delays that went on for more than a month or more where the train would just stop in empty fields and you'd hear the mooing of cows. Mm -hmm. Finally, I discovered that there was a, a farmer's protest and they were blocking the line with cows and they would basically block the line for half an hour and then release the train. Mm. And that was because this had been agreed with the police. So the police, rather than clearing them, made an agreement with them that they could block each train for half an hour. Mm. Okay, And you would see them sitting in the fields together, drinking wine together while the train was stopped. I mean, it, it was quite extraordinary. And it's pointless fighting it. You just have to think, okay, we'll just have to wait until this farmer's out. <laughs> We're all in this together. I think it was about two months and a... Two months every day. Carol, thanks for your call. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, happy travels. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Tim Parks, and Tim has spent a lifetime on the trains in Italy, I think three decades, commuting all over, enjoying Italy by the rails. He's written a fascinating book, an insightful book called Italian Ways, on and off the rails from Milan to Palermo. Tim, you dedicate your book to all those who love to read on trains. (laughs) I just thought that was kind of curious. Why did you dedicate the book to those who like to read on trains? Well, uh, I read a lot. You know, I I work in a university. I I teach translation and literature. I write. And I read an enormous amount. And I'm having commuted regularly a long commute of a couple of hours on trains. I discover, as I think back on it, that most of the important books I've read, I've read on trains. And I think trains are wonderfully conducive to reading that sense of of a moment that's suspended from your normal busy life, a bit less so now, obviously, with being able to get on the net on trains and work. But I think there's something wonderfully, as it were, yes, suspended, and um, Mm -hmm. there's a freedom to read and feel that there's no TV to watch and so on and so forth. And if the cows are blocking the train for half an hour, just read on. You can read a little more. In fact, my own feeling... My own feeling about high-speed trains, for example, is that really the idea of high-speed trains was that the time people spend on trains is wasted. This is a terrible mistake. The time people that spend on trains, if the train is a nice train and you have a seat on it, is not wasted at all. Um, it's full with reading, and of course now you can fill it with work as well if you want. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm quite happy sometimes to get a slower train and, and have a bit more time to read. And there have been times when even a delay was welcome, yeah. There's some real wisdom there, and there's some real wisdom in your book, Italian Ways. Tim Parks, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. You could take the train from Pompeii to Salerno. That's the easy way. But for a trip you'll never forget, I'd recommend taking the scenic bus ride along the winding and dramatic Amalfi Coast Road. Guides from the region take your calls at 877-333-RIC as we explore your options for enjoying Italy's magnificent Amalfi Coast. That's next on Travel with Rick Steves. The Mediterranean is a huge sea with lots of scenery, you know, and I've seen lots of it. But I'll tell you, the most scenic stretch of the Mediterranean has got to be the Amalfi Coast. And we're going to talk about the Amalfi Coast right now. It's about three or four hours south of Rome. It's about one hour south of Naples. And from the Amalfi Coast, you've got a world of memories and taste treats and, and visual thrills. We're joined by two friends of mine who live in that area, and they are local guides, Aldo Valerio and Anne Long. Aldo and Anne, thanks for joining us. Ciao, Rick. Grazie. Now, Anne, you're from, you don't sound very Italian, but you are from the Amalfi area. I am from the Amalfi area. I'm from originally outside of Chicago, but I've been 33 years living up above Sorrento, halfway between Sorrento and Positano on the Amalfi coast. So you're at the high point, the kickoff ground. That's it. And sprawling before you is this incredible coastline. I have the Bay of Salerno stretched out in front of me, beautiful views, absolutely spectacular. Capri in the distance. Well, uh, (laughs) Capri in the distance at sunset and uh, the Amalfi coast off in the sunrise. Uh, 
And Aldo, what's your connection with the Amalfi Coast? I'm a real Neapolitan who actually based in Sicily for the last 14 years, but my family is still living in Amalfi. Amalfi? What Amalfi. part of Amalfi? Yeah, very close to Positano. Now, the... Positano is like the, the jet set, the yeah. Hollywood, the movie star place. Normally, I try to stay away from Tormelinos and, uh, you know, the, uh, the very fancy, ritzy places yeah. and the French Riviera and so on. And Positano is a ritzy, fancy place, but it has a special charm. It has, a, it has a special charm. I mean, everyone knows Positano because it's very fashionable. It's very upmarket, especially during the, the high season from May until the end of September. But then it's great to go there as well after September because you can discover the real Positano. All the whitewashed houses, the, the tiny streets, the people still wearing the, the black clothes like in the past. So if you have the chance during the rice season, you can discover the real flavor of a place which seems... Despite uh, modern times and everything, the time has stopped for Positano. So let me put the context here geographically so our travelers can splice this into their itineraries. When you go to Italy, you're going to go to Rome. Three Mm -hmm. hours, maybe two hours south of Rome now is Naples. Yes. Naples is like the urban jungle. It's the crazy city that you got to see. It's so representative of the energy of Italy, classic Italy. And then from Naples, I wouldn't want to stay there if I was on my first trip. I would go farther south to Sorrento. Yes. That's one hour south of Naples, and that's the jumping-off point for this dramatic Amalfi Coast. Yeah. And there are several little towns along the Amalfi Coast that you can use as your headquarters if you want to settle in. From there, you can side-trip to the Greek uh, temple at Paestum. You can take a boat out to Capri, the romantic escape. Ever since Roman Emperor's time, that's been a vacation destination. And, of course, you got Vesuvius and Pompeii. But when we think about the Amalfi Drive, I have never seen anything so treacherous. And you've got cantilevered houses hanging on cliffs. You've got little villages way up on edges and then a long switch back down to the coastline where the tiny little beaches are bullied in between big rocks. Tell us about just the dramatic it's physical It's the engineering feat. Yeah. You know, the Italians, they look like they're so simple-minded and things, and yet they've built these things right into the rocks, and we've had earthquakes, and we've had storms and things, and nothing ever comes down. And it's not just tourists that enjoy this. I mean... Uh, the locals are thrilled well, to back death back in ancient Roman times, the emperor, who was he, went out into Capri? Ti- Tiberius, Tiberius went to... Tiberius, that was his vacation destination. was there as well. There you go. And we've had all the beautiful, wonderful writers down the Amalfi Coast, like D.H. Lawrence and... The- John Steinbeck. The English packed the place. And when we want to make a town for a headquarters, you've got Positano. Yeah, we got Positano. Then he comes all the tiny, beautiful villages that we got Amalfi. at Praiano Amalfi, which is very popular. It goes back to uh, the Maritime Republic. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with two friends and fellow tour guides who fall in love with this area, Aldo Valerio and Anne Long. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Queenie's on the phone from Macon in Georgia. Oh, thank you for having me. I just was really excited about the number of times we have been on the Amalfi Coast, and one of my favorite things to do is the sea-to-bus ride from Sorrento down to Amalfi. If you're on the right side of the bus at the window, it's it's just the ride of a lifetime. It's just wonderful. Now, when you say CETA, that's S-I-T-A, which is the local bus company, the the public bus company. There's There's two different bus companies, I believe, so... Although would would see to be the the line you would take, or? yeah, this is the, definitely the line I would take uh, to really discover the beauties of the Amalfi Coast. Now, so, and, well and, done. and Queenie, you picked that up at the train station in Sorrento. Yeah, you can. You know, in almost any town, you can go into a tobacco store and buy a bus ticket. Okay, and you get guests coming to visit you there. You're just up the hill from the... That's right, and the the bus makes lots of stops, and it's very inexpensive, that's why. But she's right about being on the right-hand yeah. side. If you're on the left-hand <laughs> side, you're done for, because they put as many people on as they can, and they're standing in the aisle as well. So when you're traveling south on the Amalfi, you want to be on the right-hand, right-hand side, side, so you correct. can just have that breathtaking scenery. Queenie, what was one of the highlights for you visually of actually driving down the Amalfi Coast? They were just innumerable, but I I really think the way the drivers handle the buses is just incredible. I mean, they, you know, they kind of fly and then they kind of, you know, kind of slow up. They know they know the coast up and down. It's just it's amazing to be on a bus with them. You have to trust them because if if you get thinking about it too much, you can just picture that bus tumbling all the way down the cliff into the sea. And believe me, when you're sitting on the right side, you can feel that too. Now, Queenie, a lot of us know about Positano and we know about Amalfi. Uh, what town would you recommend that we pay attention to while we're exploring the Amalfi? I love Priano. That's where we've stayed with my family, and it's it's not too Thank busy. You, it's Queenie. not too crowded. So, what what did you like about Priano? 
it's not busy, it's not crowded, and it's very close to Positano, and it's right centrally located. You can get anywhere. Now, it's a long, skinny town, sort of uh, straddling the, the road, isn't it? It is, and it's great for walking up and down the hill. It's it's just uh, so an you, easy you, town to get around in. Did you go down to the actual uh, coastline? We have some 400 and some steps or whatever. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a lengthy walk. Aldo can hardly contain himself here because that's where your family is from, <laughs> Yeah, isn't it? Queen, that's where I come from. That's where my family is still living, but we love it. I agree with you, and it's always a pleasure for me to spend the summertime over there. Did you see the small piazza, the small square, and it gets so packed with locals in the evening? And you said about the drivers, just to let you know, all Neapolitan drivers, they get a driver license after 24 hours distance learning course. <laughs> so oh definitely, <laughs> they know how to t- handle with the roads. So they, they did a driver's course after 24 no, hours? No, 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 this You're is just, the way we are. Oh, this is the good. way we love driving in Southern Italy. Uh, Aldo has a nickname for the Amalfi Coast. What do you call yeah, it? Yeah, Mamma Mia Road. I don't know if you agree <laughs> with me, but uh, I don't know if you're scared of the heights, but I don't know if you said Mamma Mia. Every <laughs> curve. By the way, Queenie, when you were in Priano, what I was struck with Priano was the very colorful dome on the church. Do you remember that? And, and the uh, tiles everywhere. Oh, That's my gosh. It. Hey, uh, Aldo, explain this Mayolica. Uh, See, it's a magnolia. It's really an important characteristic of the Baroque architecture that we have in southern Italy. And it's actually uh, tiles, it's ceramic, but it's done so beautifully, so colorfully, that this is the first thing you can see as soon as you come into a place like Praiano and you admire a church. So it's really an important characteristic of the masterpiece of Neapolitan. So I'm very pleased that you enjoyed it. You can appreciate that Maiolico all along that area. And while we're talking about that, I went out to Capri, and you can go out. Queenie, did you go to Capri? Yes, we did. The the famous island that's been the resort for 2,000 years now almost. You go out there, and there's... Uh, a church that has this wonderful inlaid floor, and you, you get distracted from the beautiful tiled dome, but step into that church and you have this beautiful floor. And do you know the church I'm right, talking about? Right, it's called the uh, Chiesa San Michele. It's the right. St. Michael's Church, and it's up in Anna Capri, easy walking distance from the Piazzetta. And it is, it's I think from the 1700s, beautiful, that shows the uh, Garden of Eden. Oh, and all these animals all are the, pers- animals. The, the animals have a human expressions that's on right. their faces. And then you can get up into the choir loft to look down on the floors. So, it's so that's beautiful. a highlight of Capri. Also, when you go to Capri, it's fascinating. We've got so much um, progress in our country in the last few years in gay rights. And we have to remember, back in the 19th century, you could be tossed in jail or even executed if you were uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time as a gay person. And a lot of Europe's uh, cultural and artistic elite gay artists would gather in Capri in the 19th century and they could live freely there. Is Am I understanding they, that yeah, correctly? They, they, yeah, they, they actually were living freely over there and then... Uh, what it was the, an accepted mm, way yeah. of life for the people on, on the island that uh, we had famous people like Alfred Krupp, the German uh, armament. He was gay uh-huh. and so he was able to live there with no hassle. Queenie, any other tips from your experience on the Amalfi? I love to go down to Pestum. I think that was a, it was a wonderful trip. It was very easy to get to. And Pestum would be the, you know, for me, you could make the case that it's the most amazing ancient Greek temple you could see outside of Athens, and it happens to be in Italy, just south of the Amalfi Coast in Pestum. Queenie, thanks for your call. Well, thank you for having me. Ciao, Queenie. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Anne Long is another one of those expats who's been living in Italy for a generation now. She lives between Sorrento and Positano with a stunning nightly view of the sunset on the Mediterranean. And Aldo Valerio comes from near Positano, where his family settled. They're tour guide experts to the Amalfi Coast region of Italy, and they're taking your calls at 877-333-7425. And Kathy's on the line in Denver, Colorado. Kathy, thanks for your call. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Great. Do you have a comment about the Amalfi Coast with Aldo and Anne? Well, I've uh, always wanted to drive the Amalfi Coast. We've been to Italy probably oh, six or seven times, and my husband loves to drive those Italian roads, but he's 75 years old now, and, and he still loves to drive. And so my question was, uh, is that for those of us who live in Colorado and also drive Colorado twisty roads, is mm-hmm. that a real danger for us, or is that something he might be able to do? You know, Kathy, you could certainly drive it if you're a good driver here, but do you want to drive it? That's the question. And and I would say, if you're in Sorrento, which is the main town where most of the tourists use as a springboard for exploring the Malfi, which goes along the coastline to the south, 
It's the one place in the airport where I recommend splurging for a private taxi with an English-speaking driver who can be your driver, he can help you park, he can be your guide, and he can pick you up when you need to go. And then you just plan out the day with him, and it's a reasonable price when you consider how much more you'll get out of your time. You won't be buying other transportation, and you have a guide as well. And then he will drive you to the bottom of Positano, or as low as you can get with a car, and he'll arrange to pick you up. Otherwise, you'd have to walk a lot, and you can't walk anywhere in Positano without going uphill and downhill. And then he'll drive you to Amalfi, and there's no parking in Amalfi, that's for sure. So he'll drop you off right in the center of this beautiful little town, and then you can arrange to be picked up in two hours, and uh, you don't have to bother with the parking. If you're an, an American tourist in a hot, crowded day trying to find a place to park your car in Amalfi, Aldo, is that a good? Uh, is that a recipe for disaster? <laughs> Definitely, but it's very difficult. I agree with you, Rick. Especially in the summertime, from May until the end of September, finding a parking space is just impossible. Yeah. And, and then what you're going to spend for the parking? And whoever is driving the car on the Amalfi Drive cannot look and enjoy the sights. Yeah, that's impossible. a good point. Impossible. And impossible. the taxi driver from Sorrento, he's done it a million times. That's right. And he's, he's watching yeah. the road. You look at the scene. Plus, he knows where to stop to try those. I mean, I remember stopping at that fruit stand with those incredible lemons. Yeah. All different kinds of lemons. Lemons as big as a cantaloupe. Right. Oh. That's right. And the hot Gorgeous. chili hot peppers <laughs> hanging. Oh, I love that Gorgeous. Place. All right. Does that give you some ideas, Kathy? From my point of view, it sounds like a great idea. I will have to convince him that he doesn't need to actually be yeah, behind don't, the wheel. Don't no. be a hero. Don't be a hero, <laughs> Mr. Husband. Uh, also, by the way, many, many cruise ships stop in Naples, and there's a lot of cabbies and minibuses there. And I found they had very good regulated prices, and they can zip you down to the Amalfi yeah. Coast when you have your day at shore from Naples. All right, Kathy, thanks for your call. Thanks so much. Ciao, Kathy. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. And Joyce is on the phone in Bellevue, Washington. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Rick. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Well, we went to Italy last year for the first time. Um, we love Amalfi Coast, and the view is stunning, and the locals are friendly. But unfortunately, we were only able to spend a couple of days there, and so we want to go back for a longer stay, especially after listening to your conversations earlier. Oh, I missed the place. So I wonder, some, what are some of the challenges to live there long-term as a foreigner? I was wondering yeah. the same thing. We have Anne here, who's lived there for over 30 years, and now Anne considers herself a, a local. And what are the challenges? What's the upside and the downside of moving in? Well, you know, it's always been the idea, you know, if, you, if you've got a spirit of adventure to settle into a foreign culture and try to learn of the language, of course, it's much harder these days than it was 30 years ago because 30 years ago no one spoke English. Now you've got uh, satellite TV and you've got Skype and you've got your computer with, to read newspapers and things. You really have to force yourself. But learn the language. Get out and mix with the locals. Mm -hmm. Learn how to cook. Uh, learn how to what they do on their holidays, because if you spend any time there, you get to see more of the country than if you're just there for two days, four days. Uh, there's so many things going on, Christmas time, Easter time, middle of the summer. You lived in Chicago before? I have. And then 30 years in Italy now, and you haven't picked up an accent, but you move your hands like an Italian <laughs> when you talk. <laughs> I'm going to sit on them now. <laughs> now, uh, and one great thing about the area, uh, Sorrento and the Amalfi, is there's quite an expat community. There's a, a lot yeah. of There's a lot people. of mainly northern Europeans, a lot of British and Scandinavians, et cetera. There not many Americans make it that far south to no, my you, area. You'd have, if you're an uh, English speaker, you'd have plenty of people to talk oh, with. Oh, there's plenty oh, of people. Yeah. And uh, they have little get-togethers in the main square for coffee, et cetera, so that you can catch up on what's going on. Joyce, there's an adventure for you. Oh, it sounds like it. Yeah. 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 There's no downside uh, uh, unless you're going to live 33 years. <laughs> now, now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you know, you get a lot of tourists coming in. A lot of English people come down. Uh, Aldo, what is the season for the English people coming well, in? Well, the season, they, they come from April until the end of October. So now this is odd yeah. to me. And I mean, in, in the United States, we have snowbirds that'll go from, you know, yeah. the north, the sure. rainy north down to the south in the winter to get a little bit of uh, decent weather in the winter. Right. But you're talking about the English people going down there in the hot summer. Doesn't it get awfully hot in the summer? It does get very hot. And that's exactly what they want. To come down to Sorrento in the winter, we have 60-degree uh, weather. It's not 90. They're it, looking for the 90. Summer? 
Well, they wouldn't come down in the winter because it's not hot enough for them. See, to me, the winter in Amalfi would be wonderful because I like crisp, blue, peaceful in the 60s. But you're saying these these English... No, they want to bake. Not only do they want to experience the culture and stuff, they want to go back with the suntan. Oh, the suntan. And also because during the fall, there's not really too many travelers. So you can visit the archaeological sites without so much crowd. So that would be, in my opinion, the best Two different experiences. Oh, definitely. Joyce, thanks for your call. Oh, you're welcome. Ciao, Joyce. See you in Italy. Ciao, ciao. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been fantasizing about the Amalfi Coast, and a lot of people are actually going to turn that travel dream into reality. What a beautiful place to go, and we've been helped along by Anne Long and Aldo Valerio. Anne and Aldo, let's finish it off with one last little tip. Anne, tell us uh, just some way to get an extra insight to appreciate your homeland now. Well, Positano, again, is what is attracting so many people. I think Positano has advertised themselves very well with the Americans that they all know about Positano. And my favorite quote comes from John Steinbeck, the writer, who, when he was in Positano for about a month, he wrote that in Positano, when you go to visit somebody, you can't walk to visit them. You either have to climb or slide. And that's what it's like, because it's up and down. It is so true. There's You can only go up or down, and it's worth the trouble. Right. Aldo, it's a magic hour in the early evening, and we're on the beach in Positano. There is, yeah, there is. Positano is very romantic, especially in the evening. But there is a place, it's the main beach in Positano. It becomes so beautifully during the evening. And this is what I usually do. And Saturday night, Sunday night, I just have a passeggiata, a stroll, and then I like enjoying the beauties of the surrounding area, having a glass of wine, and then watching the world goes by. This is, in my opinion, the best way to enjoy or to finish your holiday in Positano. So the beach is sort of like a piazza. In oh, the yeah, evening. it's like a piazza. It becomes Everybody's like a piazza. Everyone beach. is on the beach, and the restaurant's on the beach. And, and stress uh, and worries are not allowed. No, no, not allowed at all, definitely. Give me a nice word in Italian, a phrase in Italian to capture that moment. Well, um, Positano è l'amore e il paradiso. Oh, that in, means Positano is love and it's a paradise for you. Positano è amore e paradiso. E paradiso. Sì. Mille grazie. Grazie and, a te. And Aldo, buon viaggio. Grazie. Arrivederci. Sì, buon viaggio. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac Kaplan-Wilner at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Our website team includes Andrew Wakeling and Kate Mulhern-Graham, and our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Special thanks to the BBC in London for their help this week. Join Rick and his guests as a call around the show when we record our next batch of guest interviews. Look for a link in the radio section of ricksteves.com to send us your email address. That's how we can notify you of upcoming topics and dates. And while you're there, you'll also find Rick's audio walking tours to many of Europe's most popular cities. You can download them to your smartphone or MP3 player. It's part of what we offer in the radio section of ricksteves.com. We'll look for you again next week with more Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union Delegation to the USA. Tips about traveling in Europe and information about the EU are available at euintheus.org. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. Rick Steves' Italy is America's top-selling Italian guidebook. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guides for Rome, Venice, Florence, and Tuscany, and Rick's Italian phrasebook. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for Italy and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.